Ronnie Chasen was murdered. November 16th, 2010. It was just after midnight. Miss Chasen was driving home from the W Hollywood Hotel following a star-studded after party. As she made her way west on Sunset Boulevard, four shots were fired into her Mercedes Benz. The car came to a stop on Whittier Drive after rolling through a stop sign and then knocked down a concrete light pole. Beverly Hills police were on the scene minutes. After two weeks search for a suspect, Beverly Hills Police Department zeroed in on 46-year-old Harold Smith as a person of interest. When police secured a warrant and approached Smith inside his apartment lobby, Smith produced a 38 revolver and shot himself in the head. Police searched the apartment and the murder was pinned on Smith. Yet questions about the investigation and the suspect and the circumstances surrounding Chasen's death still remain unsolved. Years later, documents shed new light on the investigation and what police call a substantial amount of circumstantial evidence implicating Smith. The documents also reveal there was no physical evidence of Smith being at the scene of Chasen's murder. Did the police get it wrong? Who would want to kill Ms. Chasen? Is Harold Smith a man who was never placed at the scene of crime responsible for Ronnie's death? What have police said and why has it led to more questions than answers about what happened the night on Sunset Boulevard? I'm Kelly Hyman and this is Once Upon a Crime in Hollywood, the Ronnie Chasen story. Born Veronica Cohen in Kingston, New York, Ronnie Chasen grew up in a Jewish household and spent time in Riverdale and Washington Heights along with her brother, Larry Cohen. Larry was an aspiring writer and movie director who would go on to direct low-budget films like It's Alive, The Stuff, as well as Colin Farrell's thriller Phone Booth in 2002. As Larry's career began to take shape, he hired his sister to hand her publicity, which started her career in PR. Chasen was then hired by her would-be mentor, Warren Cowan, eventually becoming executive vice president of Rogers & Cowan. She became publicity director for American International Pictures in 1978 and then went on to MGM as senior vice president of worldwide publicity in 1993. She eventually started her own PR firm, Chasen & Company, representing a long list of directors and musicians in Hollywood. Let's welcome in our first guest, Anne Louise Bardock. She covered the Chasen case closely for the Daily Beast, has also written for Vanity Fair, New York Times, The Washington Post, LA Times, and many, many more. She's the author of Without Fidel and Cuban Confidential, Love and Vengeance in Miami and Havana. You can check out her website at bardockreports.com. Anne Louise, can you tell us about Miss Chasen and the Hollywood scene at that time? Uh, Ronnie Chasen was 
uh, an A-list publicist in Hollywood. Uh, she had been in the business for, for decades uh, and was pretty much known by everybody in the business. I wouldn't say she was the top, top publicist, but she was definitely uh, had her niche. Uh, she was especially known for representing big stars in the music business. Uh, among them, John Williams, who probably has been nominated for more Academy Awards than any other composer. Uh, uh, also, at one point, she was engaged <laughs> and uh, was with <laughs> John Williams, uh, which was not uncommon in Ronnie Chasen's life, where she had a very uh, prestigious career, but she sometimes dated um, some of her clients. She represented Diane Warren. She, she she had that niche. She had the the music niche uh, and other niches. She had she was she was a well known person in public relations in Hollywood. Uh, she uh, really made her bones in um, Warren Cowan. Uh, the Cowan PR agency, which was absolutely one of the biggest in the country. And once again, she also famously had a long-term affair with Cowan. And uh, remarkably, I don't know how this happens, maybe only in Hollywood, uh, when when Cowan did die, and he was dying in Cedar sinai Hospital, he died holding her hand that week with the wife in the room. <laughs> Uh, as can only happen in Hollywood. Uh, so she was a she was a remarkable person. Uh, again, I was not in the room at uh, Cedar Sinai, but this is what I was told that both she and the wife were there during the final days of Warren Town. She led Oscar campaigns for films like Driving Miss Daisy, which won Best Picture in 1989, and at the time of her death was leading award campaigns for Michael Douglas in Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, Alice in Wonderland, as well as Burlesque, starring Cher. Miss Chasen was known as a force in the public relations industry, relentless advocate for her clients. Let's bring in one of her former clients, legendary singer-songwriter Carol Connors. Carol has 10 major music awards, Emmys, Grammys, Golden Globes, and two Oscars. She worked with Miss Chasen early in her career on Rocky. Carol, can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Miss Chasen over the years? Well, it all started... Um, <clears throat> With Warren Cowan. Warren was her mentor, and we had all gone uh, to see the first film, uh, the first cut of Rocky when it was finished, and it was at the Thalberg building in, at MGM. And there were 200 very sophisticated, jaded people that were in the industry, and the film comes on, ba, 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 ba. And at the scene where it was iconic, which is where it we wrote the theme song, Gonna Fly Now. Um, everybody, the men were crying and women, I mean, they were standing and women were crying. And it was like so bizarre because Stallone and myself and Conti and Annie and everybody, 
we didn't know what was going on. And at the end of the film, Warren Cowan came up to all of us. We were sort of all huddled together at that time. And Ronnie was with him. She was his protege. And he looked at all of us, from Stallone to Conti to me, and he said, "Every these were his exact words. I've never forgotten them. He said, everybody associated with this film will be propelled into some form of stardom in their field. And I just looked at Ronnie. I mean, she was so young and so pretty. And it was like, wow, I wonder who she is. And then he introduced us as her, his protege. And years went by and Ronnie and I stayed friends, obviously, because of the music business. So over the years, we stayed friends. And she would always be very respectful of my music and of me. And I was always respectful of her. Um, I didn't go to lunch with her a lot or anything, but I saw her at many, many events. And, and she was so strong and so confident. And she invited me to, it was called Burlesque. And it was Cher and Christina Aguilar. I lived. I turn off to go to my home right before where the murder took place. And I was supposed to go to that, but I couldn't get any of my friends at that night to go with me. And I have a very flashy car, and I was not about to drive by myself at night. And I turned off and went home. And, of course, the next thing I hear is that Ronnie was murdered. And it was, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I went into a state of shock. I just, I, I started crying. It was like, oh my God, I was supposed to be at that. Ronnie invited me to that, being that obviously I was in the music business also. And I, I've never totally come to terms with her passing. I just, I can't wrap my head around it. I'm so sorry, Carol. Yeah, it really, Affected me. I remember crying, sitting in front of my computer and just crying. Believe it. And sort of the eeriness of it that, you know, I lived near there and, and I was supposed to be at that and how forceful and energetic and, and, but she was a force to be reckoned with. I don't think Ronnie minced words. I think, being a lyricist, I think that what she said is what she meant. I think she was very honest about her feelings and a major, major force from the Palm Springs Film Festival to everything. When it came to Oscar time, she was the, go the, the it girl, the go-to girl that people went to. She got things done. As my first love, Elvis said, she took care of business, T-C-B. Well, you tell a great story about her. We have Carol Connor, a legendary singer and songwriter, 10 major music awards with us today. What was she like at the awards show and on the red carpet? Precision driven. She knew exactly where she wanted everybody to be at the time they were supposed to be there. But in, and, and she wasn't gentle about it or she wasn't rough about it. She was professional. She knew what had to be done, and she did it. 
she executed, oh God, wrong choice of words. She did it. If it was, if somebody was supposed to be standing at that spot, they were standing at that spot because Ronnie or the people that worked under Ronnie, they knew that Ronnie wanted it the way she wanted because she had a vision. She knew what had to be done. There were many, many Oscar films that I think Ronnie worked on, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't remember which ones at this moment, but she was very instrumental in getting those films out in front of people. So how did Miss Chasen go from well-connected, well-like publicist to a victim of a gruesome murder? And who would want her killed? Let's go back to the night it all started, November 15th, 2010. That night, Miss Chasen attended the premiere burlesque. Miss Chasen was working the red carpet as usual, promoting her client's work in the film, head of the 2010 Golden Globe Awards before ballots were sent the following month. Anne Louise, tell us what happened next. Well, Ronnie Chasen came home all the way across Sunset. So that means she left the Sunset Strip area, which is kind of a funky, you know, funky area, especially at night. It can be uh, high life, low life, a little form of everything. But once you pass Doheny Boulevard in, sun in Sunset, uh, you're in Beverly Hills, and the landscape changes dramatically. And Ronnie sailed uh, down Sunset, which was her normal route, and then she was going to cut over either Whittier or Tremaine from Sunset to connect her to Wilshire Boulevard. Ronnie Chasen lived in a very nice condo on Wilshire Boulevard, and that was her regular route, which is also one of the most scenic routes. And it takes you through past that nice little triangle of a park, little park called Will Rogers uh, Park, um, which is just a little square, a triangular square just south of of Sunset and all the major boulevards intersect there, Cannon, Beverly, etc. Um, and that was her normal route was to go by there. And she was returning from her premiere, the, the after, the after party and getting herself ready for her next day at the office. And the way she would do that. She would phone her office, and she would just phone in a to-do list. Got to do this, got to do that. Have to call these people, have to email, lunch, whatever it was. That's what she did because Ronnie Jason was very organized, pedal to the metal. Um, but that doesn't mean that she was all work. She was, whatever she did was kind of type A, if that makes sense. Um and so she made that phone call, and then she came to Sunset um, at the Whittier Light. Now, something I did myself, because there were so many questions about this murder and so much blowback initially about who did and how did, I went there. At midnight, same time as her, and I timed the light, and it was more than two minutes. Now, two minutes doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of people, 
but you can do a lot in two minutes. You can kill a few people in two minutes, if that's your intention. And what we do know is, is that at that light, she was uh, accosted by somebody and shot with a thirty-eight, and uh, shot multiple times. Shooting from the passenger shot side, right through that glass, and the glass of a leased black E35 Mercedes coupe is good glass. But a 38, that's not a big deal. Uh, with special bullets, um, that could do a lot of damage. And she was, you know, kind of multiple, multiple gunshot wounds. I believe there were even two in her right shoulder. Now, Beverly Hills on Sunset Boulevard and Whittier, as you can find out just by driving there at midnight, is very quiet. And not to go and do a hit without a silencer um, means a lot of people are going to hear it. And a lot of people did. And people phoned, called the police. But she, her car was found. She made, she turned that corner. And she ended up with such impact and force that she just about took um, a pole down uh, on Whittier. And... That's how, when the police got there, Ronnie Chasen was still in her car, uh, having crashed into a pole. Residents woke up to the sounds of gunfire, and at 12.28 a.m., Ronnie's Mercedes was seen rolling through a stop sign before it crashed into the lamppost and coming to a halt. Witnesses called police after hearing shots ring out. Then several people approach Miss Chasen's car to find her struggling to breathe, bleeding profusely from her nose and chest. The airbags had deployed and the front passenger side window was shattered. Miss Chasen was still alive, but according to witnesses and police, she was in and out of consciousness. Beverly Hills Police Department was on the scene moments after the crash, arriving around 12.30 a.m., Ms. Chasen was taken by ambulance to Senior Sinai Medical Center, where she was pronounced dead. So what happened in those crucial moments at the stoplight at Sunset and Whittier? Ms. Chasen's murder actually had two crime scenes, one at the crash site and one on Whittier Drive. Shattered glass littered the streets from the stoplight at Sunset Boulevard in Whittier to Ms. Chasen's crash site a quarter mile away. Photos released by The Hollywood Reporter showed Whittier Drive cordoned off with police tape with Miss Chasen's front passenger wheel mounted on the sidewalk at the crash site. The light post, which the vehicle knocked over, was still laying on the ground. The car front passenger side damaged from the impact. The passenger side window was shattered with Ronnie's Prada purse still visible in the front seat with some paperwork. On the driver's side, Miss Chasen's leopard print shoes were still under the gas pedal. Glass and debris was scattered throughout the floor of the car. Witnesses reporting seeing the car roll through a stop sign before crashing to the light post. After the crash, some residents approached the car. Beverly Hills police arrived moments later to find her slumped forward blood dripping from her nose, a gurling sound coming from her mouth, and her eyes wide open, but not blinking. 
they were unable to locate her pulse. One witness who lived just south of the house where Ms. Chasen Crass said she heard the gunshots from her flat overlooking the scene of the crime. She opened her curtains of the upstairs bedroom and told her daughter-in-law to call 911, then went outside to see what happened. The witness said, that the window of the passenger side of the front seat had been shattered. Another neighbor walked to the car window and asked, can I help you? She said Miss Chasen was breathing very heavily and didn't respond. She also said the police told her whoever shot Miss Chasen might have been walking rather than in another vehicle, but she didn't see anyone in the vicinity. Back to Anne Louise Bardock who covered the Chasen case closely for the Daily Beast. Miss Bardock, can you tell us a bit more about the crime scene? Um, they, at the uh, Whittier in Sunset, the police at the time, Beverly Hills Police Department, said they were able to collect some kind of you know, compromising information. Uh, and... Remember that this is an area with many security cameras. All these homes have security cameras. This murder happened very close to the Beverly Hills Hotel. I can't think of a place with more security cameras. Beverly Hills. Has, now, it's true this is 2010, but there were the, the numbers of private security guards in Beverly Hills and Bel Air are likely a lot more than they are in entire cities in the Midwest. Uh, so they very likely picked up an image of, of the assailant. And, uh, but they also said that they had found some kind of compromising evidence at the scene on Sunset and Whittier. Over on, um, not on Sunset Boulevard, because remember, she turns left. She keeps going. She makes the left and then crashes. But not, not evidence of him. The murder didn't happen there. The killing happened on Sunset, according to the police. The car crashed on Whittier into the pole. According to police, there was no evidence of shell casings or live rounds at the scene and no murder weapon. Sergeant Lincoln Hoshino with Beverly Hills Police Department said detectives were looking at a range of possible scenarios, including whether someone followed Ms. Chasen after the burlesque after party or if she was perhaps a victim of road rage. Police did not have any suspects, and there was no threats reported against Ms. Chasen in the days leading up to her murder. Her friends said she had no known enemies and wasn't a drinker or drug user. So what happened between 12.22 a.m., Ms. Chasen's final phone call to her office, and the moments leading up to her reacting to the stoplight at Sunset and Whittier? Let's bring in Joshua Ritter, criminal defense attorney and former L.A. County deputy district attorney, host of his own podcast, True Crime Daily, sidebar podcast. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Joshua Ritter, 
ESQ. Josh, can you talk about the nature of these types of crimes, the theme, the frequency? Yeah, well, it's certainly not the type of crime you would expect to take place in this area. Um, it, this is what we would typically call like a street crime or a crime of opportunity. And that's going under the supposition that this was a robbery gone bad. But, um, you know, th the way that this area has already been described, we're not talking about a high traffic area um, at 1230 at night on a Tuesday. Um, it's a residential area. It's on sunset, but you're far enough off of the actual strip that you wouldn't expect um, a vagrant or a person, you know, looking to commit kind of a crime of opportunity, like I described in this type of area. And so that's what I think immediately makes it um, curious and intriguing. It's also not uh, the type of crime that you see in Beverly Hills um, and certainly not in Beverly Hills and this part of Beverly Hills, which is a very residential area. So here, what you have is a, it looks like a, a robbery gone bad, which, which you would describe as a street crime taking place in the most unlikely of areas and the most unlikely of times and um, involving a, an, a, you know, a person that's now the suspect that doesn't seem to be the type of person that would be in that area at that time. And so I think that's immediately what kind of uh, brings a lot of questions to all of this is none of it seems to kind of match up with that person, that area, why this type of attack would take place. And, and certainly not all of the circumstantial evidence that surrounds it doesn't seem to point towards a robbery. Josh, you bring up some really good points. What else can you tell us about where Ms. Chasen was killed? Yeah, well, as, as it's been described, this is near the corner of Sunset and Whittier, which is, uh, Whittier is kind of what's considered like a pass-through street. If you're trying to get from Sunset or over towards the Golden Triangle of, of Beverly Hills or back and forth, you might use Whittier. It's kind of a back street that a lot of people in the area know is a good way to get back and forth between those two areas. But it is completely residential and it's with really nice homes, some of the more expensive homes in all of Los Angeles County. Um, and most importantly, though, for considering this type of crime, it's not where you would expect a lot of foot traffic. So, you know, a person on foot or a person on a bike looking to kind of commit a crime where they might rob a person who's not paying attention or unsuspecting you wouldn't expect this in that area. You might expect it closer towards the strip side of Sunset, but that's several uh, miles down the road. We're talking west of the uh, Beverly Hills Hotel here, which is just homes and people making their way home. In our next episode, we'll focus on the next stage of the investigation. The first updates from Beverly Hills Police, a murder for a hire theory, and how a tip to the America's Most Wanted revealed eventually suspect in this case. Please tune in.